We are going to be in the book of Philippians again. We're going to be continuing on. Uh, two weeks ago, as uh, Pastor Davis was preaching at a men's retreat, I started in Philippians chapter 1, going through to verse 11, and so we're going to continue on. But before we get into to God's Word this morning, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We can never thank you enough, Father. There is not enough words that can be said or even penned that can express uh, the gratitude that we have and should have for all that you have done and accomplished for us, that which we could not accomplish for ourselves. Lord, and you continue to, to bless us, not only... Uh, by providing a way to, for us to have a relationship, you call us your son and daughter, children of the Most High, and, and with all the rights and privileges of Christ, uh, because it's his righteousness that covers us. And you tell us that we can come boldly before you and, and ask of, of you. And so this morning, Father, I just ask that you would be here with us, that your Spirit's presence would be felt that as we began uh, this morning, that we do invite you here, even as we sang, be here with us. And that we would have eyes to see your word, that we would have ears to hear it, minds to understand it, hearts to apply it. That contained within this book is, is your words of life. We thank you, and we praise you, and we give you glory and honor, for you are due. In Jesus' name, amen. A little uh, recap, if you weren't here uh, two weeks ago uh, and didn't uh, weren't able to hear the sermon, is up online if you want to go back and re-look at that. But the introduction to Philippians, uh, a little bit about that was that Paul was the one who founded this church on his missionary journeys, going uh, around uh, the known world, uh, preaching and teaching what Christ had done for him. One of the first things that we had looked at was in the book of Acts, where we said that this was God's ordained plan for Paul. So that is, he's writing Philippians, he is in jail. He's, he's being uh, detained. He was unlawfully detained in Jerusalem. He said he wanted to go to Caesar to declare his case. He has been taken there, uh, but he's under guard. He's writing to the Philippians. They had about a 10-year relationship at the time that he's writing this to them. He's encouraging them. Uh, they have encouraged him. They've partnered with him as a church throughout his missionary journeys to support him financially to support him with the, the different needs that he has. They have sent people from their congregation to be with him and support him. And so we talked a little bit ab about those things. And so just to go back and reinforce some of those ideas uh, real quick, I'm going to read from Acts uh, chapter 9 again, talking about the very beginning of Paul's ministry while he was still yet a man who did not know God who thought he knew who God was, but didn't truly know God. He was persecuting the church, but on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. 
was told to go see a man named Ananias. And the Lord visited Ananias and said this to him in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. He said, go. Ananias was afraid because he knew who Saul was. He knew what he was doing. He really didn't want to be a part of that. But the Lord told Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so from the very beginning, Paul was going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, used by him for his purposes. He was going to suffer. He is suffering now. He suffered much. You can read about uh, the things that he had endured in his travels to get to Rome, uh, beatings, floggings, prisons, shipwrecks, all of these different things that happened to him. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Uh, but as, as Paul was uh, starting out, he, he went on his missionary journeys. He went to these various nations, um, and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And this is Paul's plans for, for what he has been doing, how he feels God has been moving and stirring in him. And so in Acts chapter 19, it says, after these events, he was preaching and teaching in the, the city of Ephesus. And they were doing things, the Lord was moving and working in that area, in that city, uh, building his kingdom. And, he, and so after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul really wanted to go to Rome, even to the Romans. He wrote to them, stating his intention. So there is a church already established there, and that's important because... Uh, we're going to discuss that as we get into uh, Philippians this morning. But there's already a church established there. As he writes to the Romans, he says this in Romans chapter 15. He says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, talking about where he went on his missionary journeys, I had pictures of the maps. You can look them up online and see exactly where he went on his missionary journeys, where God had taken him. He said, I have, there is no longer have any room for work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once, you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. And so he's, he's made a plan of what he wants to do. He's going back to Jerusalem, and then he says, on my way to Spain, on my way to take the gospel there, I'm going to come and travel through Rome and visit you all. But God had another plan. And this is important, that despite what circumstances you find yourself in today, despite the circumstances that Paul found himself in, the one thing he always trusted in was God's plan. And so God's plan for him is in Acts 21, verses 10 to 14. It says this, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now this is while Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. He's making his way to Jerusalem to give the aid to be there for the day of Pentecost. And as he's traveling, they were staying in very places. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, 
This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him, talking about Paul, we urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And so Paul, even throughout his, his journey, he has been focused on what the will of God is. And so he didn't know what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem other than what the prophet just said, Agabus, you're going to be bound, you're going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. But remember, God said, I'm going to take Paul and he's going to speak before kings and the Gentiles and my people for me. And he will have to suffer. And so back to the book of Philippians. He is in prison. He is uh, jailed. Um, because of this arrest in Jerusalem, this unjust arrest. But this is what he has to say to the Philippian church. He says, starting in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. And so even from his time traveling to Jerusalem, he said, whether I live or I die is for Christ's sake. And so now as the Philippians, he didn't die in Jerusalem, but he's been taken through. God has preserved his life throughout the entire journey. As I said, you can read that in Acts 27. It talks about all that he endured shipwreck this is a number of years that have gone on that he has been traveling to get to rome to speak before caesar and all uh the council there to to talk about specifically christ to talk about what it is that he has been accused of and it's been he's been accused of preaching christ And so he wanted to let the Philippian church know they have sent him, Epaphroditus, to him to, to minister to his needs. They sent a gift along with him. And so he's writing back to them um, all the things that he has heard that Epaphroditus has brought to him. And so some of the things that have come across their mind might have been Paul's in prison. What's going to happen now? 
everything that he has endured. You know, it's he was going on these missionary journeys and we were supporting him and he was able to go into all these various nations and be before all these different people and we were able to help him in this, but now what? What how are how are we going to support or help him or do uh, something um, to come alongside of him, as we talked about the fellowship of the gospel, of being in fellowship, of supporting uh, the work of the Lord uh, any way we can. Um, but he says he wants to comfort them. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so, uh, as I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, uh, the outline that I'm using is taken from uh, a man named Warren Wearsby, uh, and he talked about a couple of things. He talked about the fellowship of the gospel that I've spoken about in the first portion. In this portion we come to, it's the furtherance of the gospel. And I just wanted to to read a little bit that uh, another man, because fortunately I don't know my Greek that well, um, and so I rely on other people for that. But even as I was a student and going and, and taking Greek, what fascinated me was that oftentimes, when, and if you know other languages, it doesn't translate very well sometimes into another language. And so you miss some of the, the nuances of what a word means. And, and when you're translating it, it's really hard to get all of that descriptive words in there without changing some, some things up a little bit. And so... Um, talking about the advance of the gospel or the the furtherance of the gospel. This is what uh, Kenneth Woost had to say uh, from his word studies from the Greek New Testament. He says, the word furtherance is from a Greek word which means to cut before, and it's thought to be a a military term, uh, to be used of an army of pioneer woodcutters which would precede the regular army. So an army was going into an area, there would be those that would go before them to cut the path. Thus making possible the pioneer advance of the ladder into regions where otherwise it could not have gone. So the entire the army traveling would not be able to have to gone into specific areas without this advancement from another group. And so Paul assures the Philippian saints that his circumstances have not only failed to curtail his missionary work, but in fact they advanced it. And not only that, they have brought about a pioneer advance in regions where otherwise it could not have gone. And the question we ask itself, is it so in our lives? Are God-ordained or God-permitted circumstances are used of God to provide for a pioneer advance of the gospel in our Christian service? And so as you read the book of Philippians, one of the, the, the key terms that comes up a lot, and Paul's going to talk about it, he says, I rejoice, I'm joyful, I'm happy. How could you be happy if you read, if you would go back and read Acts 27 and look at all that he, how could you be, how could a man be happy going through all of those things in his life? Even as we talked about writing to the Philippian church where he was jailed there as well, when he first went to Philippi. But he, when he was there, one of the, the things that he took joy in is that the gospel was proclaimed, that lives were transformed, that people were taken from the, the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light, and in that he rejoices, not because 
he's enduring all of these things. And in that, partially he rejoices because you're sharing in the suffering of Christ who died for us. And Scripture talks about suffering as Christians, that it is normal, that it is a part of, of who we are. Just as Christ suffered, we too will suffer. But Paul takes joy in knowing that the gospel is advancing into pioneer regions for them. Because he says, it, shall, it has become known throughout, verse 13, the whole imperial Guard. This is a special group of soldiers that were um, <clears throat> close to to the top. They had very important. They were they were so big that when a new emperor would rise and a, a new person, they would court them just to have their favor because they were an important group of people that had a lot of sway um, towards. Who would, who would be in charge? And so it's not a, a small thing that Paul was chained. And when we talk about him being enchained, one of the commentators said every six hours they would change guard. So he's, he's chained, and there's a man locked to his arm from the imperial guard for 24 hours a day, every day. And here Paul is. He's writing letters. He's still... This isn't like in prison where you know he's behind bars and he doesn't have the freedoms that we have today. No, he's got a guard chained to him. He's still got people are still coming and visiting. He's still able to do specific things. He's writing letters. He's doing different things. But he's saying throughout all of this, they're they're seeing all the things that I am doing. And not only that, I'm sure Paul's not just going to sit there quietly with a guy chained to him. And there's a new person every six hours. And and Paul. A man who's praying all the time, praying with different people. It'd be crazy not to, you just can't sit there and try to ignore that, right? It's not like today where you can put a headphone in and listen to music or put a movie on your phone and ignore everything else that is going on around you. This was the job of the soldiers to, to guard them, and so... They were involved in everything that Paul was involved with. And so he was able to minister to them. God allowed this opportunity. God allowed this opportunity. And so that, that question is, even in, in our lives, are we looking at the things that we are involved in as God-given opportunities? Or are we looking at as, God, why didn't you do this for me? Or why am I suffering these things? Or why am I involved? But having the mind that Paul had, that as he would say later in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so pioneer advance of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and it says, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So while he's in Rome, it's no, all the rest. I, the reason why Paul, and he was known, he wrote to the Romans, Earlier, there's a church that is established there. There's people that are preaching Christ. But he has an opportunity that they don't even have to minister to these people, that it even goes into Caesar's household. If you turn a couple of pages forward in Philippians, if you look at the very end of the book of Philippians, he has his final greetings in chapter 4. And he tells the, the Philippian church, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. So those that are, are with him, surrounding him, uh, 
even as he's in chains, greet you. But he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So he had opportunities to minister while he is in chains, while he is defending the faith of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he's comforting, he's trying to comfort them, saying, hey, look, this has only served to advance the good news. And he's thankful for all that they have continued to do for them. And so he says, not only that, not only has the advance of the gospel gone into new regions, into new areas, the imperial guard, Caesar's household, it says, and most of the brothers, verse 14, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He was giving courage to those that were already saved. Is there somebody in your life that you have looked at, another uh, Christian woman, Christian man, uh, somebody that you have looked up to, that you have listened to, that you you just look, and, and the way that they handle certain circumstances in their life, whether it's the good or the bad. Most often, it's when people are going through difficult times and you see how they weather those storms that really speak to people. I mean, cinema is all over the place with true stories of how people have weathered specific circumstances. But we're talking about specifically Paul is in chains for Christ, and he is a well-known evangelist, apostle, going throughout the region. And even him, he's, he's not safe. So you can imagine that, that people, much like the Philippians, thinking, oh no, his, his missionary work is being curtailed, or it's not advancing, or, or what do we do now? How, how can we support Paul? Think of all the other people that Paul has ministered to, that he has preached the good news to, or even the people at Rome seeing this and like, are we safe? Are are we in danger of being imprisoned? Like, and so fear takes hold, and and what happens? Mouths go. Um, mm -mm. Not gonna, not gonna talk. Not gonna share. Not gonna to do maybe some of the things that I, I was doing out of fear. And yet Paul is saying, look, because God, God's not held back because I'm in prison. It's not as if God has been jailed. He, he's free to do whatever he wants, and he's moving and working in this situation. So his example is showing others, do, do not be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of what man can do. Really, we need to live our lives before God and be concerned with what God wants us to do. And so it's emboldening the brothers to continue to have the full confidence of the Lord. This isn't God abandoned Paul. This is a God-given opportunity to Paul to preach and to teach. And so for them as well, it's, well, I can take confidence. I can take courage. I can be uplifted that I too can do those same things. And, and so it's talking about even in, in everyday conversation, Paul has to be the topic of conversation in, in Rome. He, it would be like a, a high-value political target um, in, in our day and age. The news would cover that like crazy. People talk in, in amongst themselves, but and they talk, why is Paul doing this? It's because of Christ. And so even with that, there have been obviously 
rumors getting into verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from, from goodwill. So it's emboldened the brothers. They're preaching. And, and, and the Philippian church might have been a little concerned because they hear what's going on in Rome as, as people are traveling and different things. And, and he says, look, this is, this is what's going on. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And so he, had, he himself had his own critics. And so you have those that, out of a selfless pursuit, are emboldened by his speech, by his, his actions, and, and preach Christ. And then you also have others that, eh, through their own selfish desire, want, want to proclaim Christ out of selfless ambition. As you look at, at verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so this is why I said, knowing that Rome already had a church, Christ was already being preached, uh, was important because there's, there's people already there. But now you got this Paul, people know him. People know about him if they didn't know him because they're talking about it. And, and you can have ministers who feel threatened by that. Um, unfortunately, and, and I say this cautiously, but in, in our day and age, not everybody who preaches Christ preaches him sincerely. Not, as, as Paul says, not preaching sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so you had those that were, were teaching Christ. Paul says that in every way, in verse 18, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. So this isn't somebody preaching heresy. This isn't somebody teaching a, a false gospel. This isn't somebody who is up there saying bad things about Jesus or don't follow that, but really it's about you know, Paul is talking about Christ, and I'm talking about Christ, but I, I really want people to follow me more than follow Paul. You know, and, and whether that's people from the outside looking in and think they come to a church service and you've got hundreds of people, or you go to another minister and being jealous because of, of another minister being jealous because he's only got a couple in the tens, twenties, hundred, whatever, however, whatever number you want to put in there. They're, they're preaching out of selfishness, selfish ambition. Hey, look at me. Look at, look at what I've done. But they're not preaching heresy. They're still teaching the gospel of Christ. And Paul says, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that, I rejoice. So you have the proclamation of the gospel going forth. It has not ceased because Paul is imprisoned. He rejoices because God is being proclaimed in all that he does, all that he is doing. And so he says, uh, verse the end of verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. And he says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. 
Charles Spurgeon had an interesting observation on this, and so I wanted to read it to you. It says, Observe that the apostle did not expect that good will arise out of everything apart from prayer. We've been talking about that a lot, even as Pastor Davis came in. Um, in this past year, everything that has been happening, everything that has gone in this church, we've constantly been hammering. Prayer is an absolute necessity of our faith. We can do nothing apart from Christ without prayer. It needs to be under prayer in the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says he believed, that's a Spurgeon, about Paul, that it would be through the prayer of his beloved friends at Philippi and the supply of the Spirit that everything that happened to him would work to promote his salvation, his spiritual advantage, and his success as a minister of Christ. He looked for the transformation of the evil into good by that sacred alchemy of heaven, which can transmute the basest metal into purest gold. But he did not expect this to happen apart from the ordained methods and ordinary institutions of grace. He counted upon the result because he saw two great agents at work, namely prayer and the supply of the Spirit. For us, that's a, a very important thing, even as we talk about Sharon coming. Um, as we pray about our missionaries around the world from the CMA, outside the CMA, this isn't about uh, one denomination over another, but it's really about who God has raised up that is standing on the word of truth that, and, and even ministers, preachers every Sunday. One of the things Paul it, talks about and much of his writings is the fact of people are praying for him. It was an, an expectation that as, as he preached and, and understood that, look, this is not my work. This isn't anything I have done, really. It's everything that Christ has done as he went into different regions and different areas. It's not with wise words that I'm trying to, to win you over, but it's really because the Spirit of God is working in your heart and is changing you from within. And as you hear these things, God does a mighty work in you and changes your life, transforms you into his child. And so prayer is an important part of our life. And, and, and Paul knew that. He says in some of his other writings, in Romans 15, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Telling the Romans, I read earlier from Romans 15 about his intentions. I want to go see you. He's saying, pray with me that God would do these things. God did them. Maybe not the way that Paul expected him to do them, but God allowed things to come into his life. And Paul looked at them as God-given opportunities. But he says, pray with me. To the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through 
the prayer of many. To the Ephesians church, uh, chapter 6, 18 to 20, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. To the Colossian church, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us, a, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. To the Thessalonians, in closing, we say, brothers, pray for us. Paul, in all of his writings, understood that the work that he undertook, anybody who is even up here from, from, from the pulpit stance has to understand it doesn't matter how well you know the book or how much study. If God is not a part of it, if, if you have not prayed about it, if you have not come to God about it, if there's others not praying about it, if God's not in the work, it amounts to nothing. But the way for God to be involved is he has told us to come to me. Many times Christ was on this earth, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. He wants us, as, as Paul prayed for them earlier, he said in, in, in the verses where he says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all the sermons, so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's living lives like that. He's going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and part of that is being in prayer. Knowing that it doesn't matter how anybody up here comes to you. If it's not through the power of God, lives won't be changed. Lives won't be transformed because it's, it's not a human thing. It's a God thing. Only God can do the work being asked of God's ministers, whether that be his missionaries, whether that be his preachers. Today, and the same in, in, in Paul's day, it has not changed. It's God's people doing God's work by God's power. And so he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He goes on, verse 20, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, many times in the next couple of verses, referencing that idea. Life or death. No matter where I am or where you find me, what I want is that when people look at me, they, they're not seeing me, but they see Christ. They see God. They don't see my circumstances, but they see God working through the circumstances. Essentially what it is is he wants the name of God to be magnified. Even we sing songs like that. Magnify the name of the Lord. 
You're going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. We want to magnify the name of the Lord. We do that by how we live our life. Warren Wiersbe had an interesting thing to help illuminate this. It says, does Christ need to be magnified? Part of the, do we think in our own human state that we can really magnify God? But he says this. He says, after all, how can a mere human being ever magnify the Son of God? Well, the stars are much bigger than this telescope. And yet the telescope magnifies them and brings them closer. The believer's body is to be a telescope that brings Jesus Christ close to people. To the average person, Christ is a misty figure in history who lived centuries ago. But as the unsaved watch the believer go through a crisis, they can see Jesus magnified and brought so much closer. It's exactly what happened with Paul when it says it emboldened the other. They're watching Paul go through a crisis and how he's handling it, and he gives them boldness, confidence in the Lord to speak out. He says, To the Christian with a single mind, this is Wearsby, Christ is with us here and now the telescope brings distant things closer, and the microscope makes tiny things look big. To the unbeliever, Jesus is not very big. Other people and other things are far more important, but as the unbeliever watches the Christian go through a crisis experience, he ought to be able to see how big Jesus Christ really is. The believer's body is a lens that makes a little Christ look very big and a distant Christ Come very close. It's much like the, the saying that we hear in, in Christian circles in this day and age. You might be the only Christ that people ever see by your actions, by your speech, by how you live your life. And that is what Paul is stating in those couple of verses. That with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. I hope that I will not be ashamed. He wants his life to magnify the Lord. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Question for you this morning. As, as Paul says that after everything that he has encountered, all of the things, he has not scorned God. He has not condemned God. It's only brought him closer to God. It's brought him to understand God moves and works in these things to bring about good in a believer's life that others would see as evil. And it's all because he has a single mind, a single focus, and that single mind is that statement right there. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's not looking... At, at the actual death portion, but understanding death is gain because as this life ceases to exist, you're present with God. And so Paul takes comfort in that. But before that, he says, for me to continue on, for me to live is Christ. That's everything that is a part of who I am. I want my life to magnify God in all that I do. And so a question for us this morning is if you put two blanks in uh, Christ and 
to die is blank. So for me to live is blank. Fill it in. What would you put in that space? Would you put price in that space? All right. If we're being honest with ourselves, most of us don't say that. Even my, it can be a, a myriad of other things. Whether and it could be good things. But what Paul is is saying that everything in me, for me to live is I want to live for Christ no matter what is going on. For some of us, it might just be for me to live is my family. Everything revolves around my family. Everything might revolve around a job. Everything might revolve around money. Everything might revolve around fill in the blank. For me to live is what? And to die is what? There's that saying, he who dies with the most toys still what? Still dies, right? If you're living for, for, for money or for wealth or for, for gain, even Christ said, if, if you don't even forsake your own family and follow me. The Christian life is one lived for Christ in, in all that we do. That's not to say we can't be doing these other things. But it, what it means is as you're doing other, the other things, you're living for Christ through all of that. Your, your life is representing like that telescope, bringing Christ into view for people or making Christ big. It's not bemoaning circumstances as everybody in, in the world, society, normal, normalcy would tell you. You know, you're going through trial. You just got a cancer diagnosis. Woe is me. You just got uh, in a car accident. Woe is me. You just... Fill in the blank, whatever. But it's looking at opportunities to share Christ wherever you are, however you got there. Looking at it as God-given opportunities. And so that, that's what Paul's getting at to say, for me to live is Christ, to understand all that I have is from Christ. All that I'm going to have is from Christ. All I want to do is live for Christ. Paul's life was in service to God. And so wherever we, we find ourselves, ask yourself that question. What am I putting in those blanks? And if it's not Christ, and it's not looking at to die as gain, because some, some of us might not want to leave. But if we understand who God is, what there's joy and, yes, not that you want to die right this instant, but yes, to die is gain. To live with Christ, to be with him, to, to, to glory in his presence. It's an, an amazing thing. And any, anybody can do this. It's not to, to live as Christ. This isn't something that is restricted to people who are missionaries or people that who, who are ministers. That Their, their focus is, is, is that in building up a church and talking, but this is for all of us as ministers of God's word. As Paul would say elsewhere, we are ambassadors for Christ in all that we do. As people look at us and see that, see us. So people that are business in business, it's about operating your business 
with Christ-like principles being lived out. And it's being generous, and it's being kind, and it's, it's talking about Christ in those settings when you're able to. It's providing comfort when you're able to. Some, some jobs don't allow you to say certain things, but you have conversations with people, or people see you go through a crisis, and they ask you a question, that's the opportunity for you right there they, to answer them specifically. Look, this is why I can feel this way, or this is why I can handle this this way. This is because Christ. Because Christ. You can be a stay-at-home mom raising kids and still have a ministry for Christ. It doesn't matter where you are. What it does matter is where is your focus? Is it on everything else going on around you? Or is it... As Paul has this single mind, single focus, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's a lot more to get through, and we're not going to get through it today. And and so if there's an opportunity to, to continue this, I will. But you can, uh, even this week, maybe take a look further down and finish chapter 1 and look at how Paul talks about the, the various things about living for Christ to die as gain. He explains a little bit about it, but as, as I was talking and getting at in verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's talking about knowing our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi is a Roman colony. It has all the Roman rights and privileges. They're expected to do certain things as citizens of Rome. But Paul wants them to understand, look, you're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of the king. There's, there's duty and responsibility there as well. Live it out. Live it out in your life. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you that you are able to do what no one else can do. You are, are able to give us a, such a, a broader perspective on this life, to not have tunnel vision and just be thinking of everything that's going on in our life, but really to be focused on what you are doing and what you have already accomplished and what your word says will be accomplished. And Father, we desire to be a part of that, even as, as Paul referenced. He, he is your servant, Father. We are your, your servants. We have fellowship with you because of Christ. We are called your sons. I mean, you can put in daughters, but sons specifically because of of their culture and the rights and privileges being given to sons, the firstborn, Christ being the firstborn, all the rights and privileges there. They thank you that we have sonship with you and fellowship in the gospel, that we can be your servant servants in the furtherance of the gospel. Father, there are those of us here that have access to places that others do not. Help us to see how you would use us. Help us to see even 
whatever circumstance, and you have a way of turning what was meant for evil into good, that we would understand that you give opportunities, whether it's been God-ordained or God-permitted in our lives, to test us, to strengthen us. But that we would be a shining light, not for our glory, but for your glory. And that we would be instrumental in defending of the gospel, the faith of the gospel, just as Paul here is, is doing. As he said, they know that I am here in the defense of the gospel. Father, you have called each and every one of us here to represent your kingdom. Help us to represent it well. As, as Paul is asking the Philippian church, it is our prayer this morning, my prayer this morning for us all, that we would live a life worthy of the gospel. The manner in which we live would be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for continuing to come and be a part of this fellowship. If you have any questions uh, about anything that has been, been going on, when I have more information concerning the future, I will let you know. Pastor Davis had mentioned that. Still waiting to hear news from, from Nate, hoping to hear that soon. But continue, as, as I mentioned, prayer is essential in every part of our lives. Uh, but we really need to be in prayer on our knees about that specific fact, too, that God's man would be called to this place to lead uh, and that God's work would, would, would continue. And it continues because all of us, as, as we didn't get to, but Paul asked the Philippian church, hey, be of one mind, be of one spirit, and do the work of the Lord together. And so it doesn't happen with all of us. So thank you for all that you have been doing, all that you uh, will do. And uh, we thank God that he has given us this family. I thank you all. So go this morning, greet one another, and uh, be lights in the darkness.